Oh my word. I have been wanting to talk about, I need to do a few corners because we haven't gotten to those recently. Yeah, you just totally forgot about legendary lenses. No, I didn't. Gerald had that that legendary. He had the best thirty five millimeter lens video that, that he posted the, yesterday. The Airy, yeah, that Airy Master Prime. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could make I could pick out an Airy Master Prime to become a legendary lens. <laughs> I feels it feels appropriately mm-hmm. legendary. Yeah, I, I imagine so. When I was watching that video, I thought it was super interesting how he had his he had the chromatic aberration testing on his chart and. It was like from here's the focus line and then going in and out of focus and the RF or it's not the RF. It was a E, it was a G master. The G master lens had a very sh- almost sharp, but a very sharp, like into focus and out of focus. Huh. Whereas the master prime was the most like gradual gradient all the way through. And so there were parts of the master prime where it was like, this is, like this transition is so much more pleasing. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that was cool. Yeah. That's hard. That's always hard to tell, especially if you're not looking at like a, like if you took a picture of, of a, like a tilted, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. hard to tell. Do you feel like you could actually see with like through all the YouTube compression? Could you actually see the improved image quality on that lens in his video? Yeah, I mean, like, he highlighted the things and he zoomed in enough that you could tell for most of it. Yeah. There was some stuff where, like, the ghosting you can't really tell on YouTube. But mm-hmm. it was it was like, yeah, it is probably 20% better than the G Master in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting things I find about those Master Primes is how, like, you are always going to have some amount of longitudinal chromatic aberration, which is where you have color shifting like in the foreground and the background and it's different and so like your background might just be tinted green and your foreground might be like tinted magenta and the way that uh, Aerie designs their primes is that they purposely make sure that the backgrounds are not tinting green they're tinting blue and the foregrounds are tinting t- uh, like a uh, not teal uh, it's like a what's the opposite of this teal and orange orange there's a word found it like they're a warmer color tinting kind of more towards so yellow, they're trying to make it orange. closer to what you would actually want and yeah scene. and so it's like you're you're not you don't have these undesirable colors and you have this like orange teal look from foreground to background just by the nature of the lens so so would you say that that's a cinematic lens obviously <laughs> obviously <laughs> i don't know i think that's like super super cool uh, yeah, it's pretty clever yeah that's probably what you're paying for with a lens like that yeah with a thirty thousand dollar lens <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely what you're paying for. Yep. Okay. I feel I feel ready. You feel ready? I feel like we kind of already started. Yeah, we kind of did, but I had the AC running, so we may lose most of that first part. No, we'll see. Okay. So you've been shooting on film a little bit more lately, huh? I just don't know if I'm ready to talk about this, Daniel. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. People are going to think, people are going to be like, ugh, another Fuji shooter isn't. <laughs> It isn't retro enough. Now they got to go shoot on like chemical celluloid. That's kind of how I'm feeling right now. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to broaden my horizons, Daniel. (laughs) Trying to like get out there and really, you know, experience photography in a way that uh, most casual plebeian fakie photographers don't. Well, I saw you experiencing photography this weekend, and it looked pretty challenging to me. Didn't really look that fun, if I'm being honest. So I I shot through two rolls, which I've talked about previously, of one was Ektar 100 and one was some black and white Kodak film that I didn't realize was black and white. And so I got those developed, and I was like, I'm never doing this again. And then I saw the pictures, and I was like, maybe I'll give it another shot. (laughs) And so I bought a roll of Ektar 100 and Porta 400 and Cine Still 800. And this weekend, I shot an entire roll of Ektar 100 on my Canon AE-1 program. It's a pretty big accomplishment. And the shutter on that camera sounds like it's going to (laughs) die. It's like like if you... I'm trying to think of a humane way to describe it, and I can't think of anything that you could do to a mouse that would be humane (laughs) that would make that noise. So I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Up to the listener's imagination. Sure, yes. 
They're horrible imaginations. Interestingly, with this being an audio program, you could have just demonstrated that for them. But, you know. It's not like I have the camera with me. I can't imagine why not. I mean, it is out of character, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) But so I I shot with this, you know, 1980s circa whatever, shot through a whole roll, which takes forever. So for instance, for example, to say, I set up, I set up a portrait session on Sunday and I shot portraits of my dogs. Of course, as one does. (laughs) You know, I, I, I whipped out my, my uh, Amaranth COB sixty, which wasn't bright enough, I had the thing on a hundred. I need, I had to, I needed to pull out the Godox, but I didn't want to do it. I was trying to keep this simple, mm. and so you know, had my background set up, brought out my my cob light, had to get the C stand so I could hang my my negative fill. Yeah, oh man, you're really getting yeah, fancy. Did with my that. pop out? Did my like black uh. negative fill on this side? These. Dan, I haven't shown you these pictures. They are very dramatic. <laughs> like, Have you shown anybody these pictures? I mean, you shot them on film. Well, this is what I'm getting at, Daniel, is that I did this because I had to shoot another like six shots. And so I, I needed to like burn through this roll so I could say I, I shot the whole thing. Uh-huh. And I shot, including Raw's, 56 photos with my X-H2S. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that took the same amount of time. So, like, I actually have to cut it in half. I shot, like, 26 photos. That took the same amount of time as it took to shoot four photos on film. <laughs> what takes so long? Why is it so it's much harder? It's just exhausting. You're, like, you don't, you're not going to, like, just hold down the shutter and, like, take a bunch of, like, okay, well, this is close enough. We're kind of, like, trying to frame up, but I don't want to miss the moment. Click, 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 click. All right, I took, like, five photos, and one of them's good. Like, that's... I feel like that's how I shoot. <laughs> I don't know anybody else. Spray and pray. You yeah, know. yeah. You're going like full burst rate. Broken. We'll just pick the better, best photo later. I, I frequently say that my philosophy for photography is a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> and so, you know, that's how you're shooting. That's how I'm shooting digital. Yeah. You, you don't do photography. <laughs> photography happens to you. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so, with shooting film, it's like you got to make sure it's in focus. And like the AE1 has like a, a like a focal preview switch, so you can make it like close down the aperture, so you can see what mm-hmm. your what depth of field looks like. You but say no, that you say that with such confidence, but you discovered that this okay. weekend. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't know how these things work, and so I'm like, I put the lens on the camera, and I'm like turning the aperture, and I'm like looking down the lens. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, it doesn't look like the aperture's changing. Is it broken? I have no idea. And so it, it just, it took a little while. Then I figured out, oh, I have to push this like switch in. And then that's what forces the blades into position during preview so that you can kind of like preview your depth of field. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and so it's like, you know, maybe you have more depth of field than you think you do whenever you're focusing. But like normally it's just wide open. So your depth of field is less. And you're going to get closer critical focus, I guess. Anyway, focusing is hard. And metering is hard. Like there's a meter built into the camera. But it's ancient at this point. And so I'm like, you like hit the button on the side, you have press the shutter and it's like, okay, you, it knows that your shutter is set at like whatever, one over 60 or one over a hundred or something. And then it suggests an F-stop to you. Oh, you should shoot this at 5.6 or whatever. And that F-stop, like I had, a, I downloaded a, a light meter app for my phone because I don't want to buy a light meter because I'm like not that into this yet, yet. And so my light meter is like frequently one to two stops different than the camera. And you uh, don't know which one to trust more, right? I, I, I have no idea. I'm like, I don't know which one of these is correct. I mean, honestly, one to two stops is not that far off. I mean, it's pretty you good. Just, just favor, it's film. So like favor on the overexposed side uh-huh. and pray that it's close. Yep. And so that's what I did. And we'll see. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. But the point is, it just takes forever to take film shots. Yeah. And so we went and we walked around uh, one of like the Park City area, like live, work, you know, whatever here. And I tried to shoot through a whole roll. I tried so hard. How You got pretty far, but you didn't get all the way through that roll. Yeah, I shot like 24, 24 exposures. Out of 36, I think. Right, exactly. And what I learned is that, you know, modern cameras, their shutter speeds are just, it's like cheating. I've always wondered, like, a lot of, like, older photographers I'll talk to, they don't seem to care about f-stop at all. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, shooting things at f8 and 5.6 or whatever. And then I feel like a lot of the newer photographers that I talk to, are like, they set it at, 
their their aperture wide open, like yep. 1.4, 1.8 or whatever. Yep. And they're just shooting wide open all the time. They're like, why wouldn't you always shoot wide open? You get more light, more light, more better. And what I realized was like when I'm shooting film and the shutter speed caps out at one over a thousand, it doesn't matter that I'm shooting ISO 100 film. I'm like ISO 100, one over a thousand, and then like F 5.6 or like F 8. Just to get a shot that's not horribly overexposed. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, that's shooting outside, obviously. But Mm -hmm. I was like, man, there's not, there's just like so much light. I can't shoot wide open. Like I just can't. The shutter speed, shutter is not fast enough. Whereas like modern digital cameras, media shoot. One over 80,000 or yep. something if you're like electronic shutter. It's, mm-hmm. that, that's probably not really true. I think yeah. that, I think, the, I mean, you can easily get like one over 4,000 though. One over 8,000 is really normal for mechanical shutters. And then some electronic shutter stuff will let you push up to like one over 16 or one over 32,000. I think that's what the XH2S will do. The new Nikon ZF, even if you switch it into electronic shutter, I think it's only 8,000. That's probably not true. Point is, we're all spoiled with our fast shutter speeds. Garbage. Yep. You're going to have to get an ND filter for that film camera. It feels like it. <laughs> you know, eh. Well, actually, that sounds hard. There's a thing that you, you can, like, do a, a thing where, like, you do, like, multiple exposures. Like, you know, how, uh, like, kind of like exposure bracketing, but different. Mm-hmm. And so I have this set of filters that I inherited that it's, like, orange, blue, and green or red or whatever. And the concept is like you can you screw them on and then you take a picture on film and then you like re-expose it again with like don't like let anything move and then shoot it again with like another filter or something. And then you can get like a interesting effect. Hmm. Weird. I guess you would probably just you could might be easier to do that digitally. Yeah, like with Photoshop. I don't even know. Which how you, you don't pay for anymore. Sh- well it's not yet. I haven't cut that off yet. But I don't know how you'd like back it up. Anyways, point is it turns out the film is really hard and I'm excited to get my photos developed. And I don't know if there was any other takeaways except that I haven't quite figured out like metering and it's all just really slow. I don't know. I guess I kind of enjoyed the experience. (laughs) (laughs) A glowing review. Yep. I don't know. There's like, I feel like if you're trying to develop your eye for photography, shooting film kind of helps because you have to be like looking for the photo and like thinking about the photo and the framing as you're like looking at the world around you. And then you see the photo and then you go get your camera and like frame it and figure all that out. And then you take a picture because you're not going to like go and just shoot all the thing or be like, you can look at the camera the whole time. But it feels like it's so different from digital because like every shot costs you money. It's like, oh, every shot's 60 cents effectively or something. And so you want to, you know, really think about what kind of photos am I trying to get today and how am I going to frame them and like what lens do I have and I think it it makes you be way more intentional about taking pictures and doing photography and so I think it's I think it's like worth a go if you've never shot film like go shoot a roll of film I don't think I'm going to always shoot rolls of film (laughs) it's uh terrible but I think it's a good experience yeah it was kind of funny that you and I kept taking pictures and you couldn't show me any of yours just you just wait, inside. Daniel. Uh-huh. It's coming. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. So on the other side of that, we... Also, shot, got to shoot some with the iPhone 15 Pro Max, and got to see some of the video footage from that. Yes, we did. So I've been, I've been begging you, Daniel. I need you to shoot, give me some log footage because, like, I got to play with it, and uh, you just wouldn't do it. Yep. So I had to force you. Mm-hmm. You had to drag me out of the house. Mm-hmm. Yep. You were like, film me for the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said it in a much higher pitch. Yeah, probably so. But that that was the message I got from it. Anyways. So I I played with the footage, which is great, right? They you used the Black Magic app. Yep. You didn't record to an external SSD. Right. And you had issues which are probably just a bug with the app on using the telephoto. Yeah, when I tried to use the five times telephoto, it kept giving me an alert that it was dropping frames. Interesting. And in the footage you could it, it was kind of jittery. Like it did look like it was dropping frames. Hmm. And 
Uh, it seems like it's probably a bug. It's This is really hard to research online because if you try and search black magic camera dropping frames, you do not get iPhone app results. Yeah, that seems like it'd be really hard. <laughs> yeah, so, I think what you're supposed to do is we'll leave a negative review oh, and then put your comments in the app store. <laughs> good idea. Good idea. But yeah, so I mostly use that. And the reason I use that is because I believe in the built-in camera app, if you're shooting ProRes, I think you have to shoot it externally. I could be wrong on that. Or if you're shooting a log, you have to shoot ProRes. And if you're shooting ProRes, you have to shoot externally. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have an iPhone yeah. 15. Yep. So yeah, I shot the footage. You looked at it and graded it. What are your thoughts? Okay, so I think it's I think it's super usable. Like it looks like a like small sensor footage as far as you know the depth of field and like how the framing looks and like it looks like cell phone footage from a like how how handheld cell phone footage looks mm-hmm. like, Just, in, like in terms of the movement and stuff. yeah in terms of like what the movement looks like and you know that sort of thing if you had this thing on a on a gimbal or on a tripod or you know, like you were purposely like laying out the framing i think you could frame this in a way that's you know here is a 28 millimeter lens on a you know APS-C camera here's an iphone that's set to 23 mil 28 millimeters and like you can i think you could get very similar looking shots and then the log profile was ha- was happy to see. You know, there's none of, none of like the tonal mapping, none of like the HDR effect stuff. You just get you know here's good footage that is in a log profile. And so what I did is I pulled it into Resolve, and then I ran through a number of different color space transforms. And so I transformed it just straight out the box to like normal Rec. 709 using the a color space transform and the Apple's the built-in Apple Gamma. Mm-hmm. in DaVinci Resolve and everything looked like really good and so like I pushed around the white balance I adjust the exposure I pulled up like the highlights I did some S-curve modification stuff just to kind of like push the footage around see how well it held up see if there's any like blocking or if it drops any sort of issues and this was all HEVC stuff mm-hmm. now I did shoot a little bit in ProRes oh you did? yeah I couldn't tell the difference okay that's interesting yeah so I, I mean it's probably it was probably half and half of those clips yep. were HGVC versus ProRes. So I, I pushed around and graded every clip and I couldn't, it wasn't obvious to me from a performance perspective, okay. which ones were ProRes and which ones were not. Mm-hmm. And cool. I don't remember if ProRes is like, here, this one's 422 and this one's 420 or anything. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that either. And I was shooting ProRes LT. So, you know, sure. who, who knows, maybe like full on ProRes would have been different, but. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear that the HEVC looked good, though. Yeah, so like it all held up perfectly fine. I was I was very happy with all that white balance adjusted just as you'd expect it to. Great, and then I did some stuff where I did like a color space transform into Cineon, and then I applied one of the film looks out of Resolve into like the one of the Kodak looks. That looked really good, and it, it transformed exactly like I would expect it to. I don't know why it wouldn't. And then I did one where I transferred them did into F-Log and then I applied an Eternal LUT and got like that Eternal look. That worked out exactly like you would expect it to. And, you know, I was able to kind of get a Fuji looking kind of footage with like the flatter blacks and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was happy with the dynamic range. I was happy with how flexible the footage was. And like it was nothing weird. Like, I've graded like iPhone footage straight out of the, you know, the I just shot video on my iPhone. Here you go. It's an, it's an HLG or whatever. Right. And that's always a pain of like getting the saturations just right. I, I hate the yellows that come out of iPhones. I just, I don't like the way they look. I think like the yellows and oranges are just never exactly right. Uh, you shot some footage of a yellow flower and that looked very pleasing. I was able to get it exactly how I wanted. So I would say, Shooting log on the iPhone 15 makes the iPhone 15 footage as usable as any other camera footage that we're shooting with. And if you don't need like a like a a different look, if you don't need yeah. like load up the field or like certain telephoto, and you can deal with the noise and the smaller mm-hmm. sensor and the form factor, it seems like slotting in an iPhone 15 is totally totally doable. I mean, it still feels like the biggest downside would be you you can't shoot a wide shot with it and then crop in. So, like, that's something that we do sometimes in interviews with the 6K footage on the X-H2S. We'll shoot a wide shot and then we punch in a little bit. And I feel like with what I've seen of phone footage generally, that's not going to work as well. Yeah, it doesn't have quite as good of detail mm-hmm. as larger sensor. Yeah. But it does look 
good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I really hope they fix that issue with the telephoto and the Black Magic app because I, I think that would have solved some of the problems just in terms of like the the phone look. Mm-hmm. And I really couldn't shoot on it because of that issue. So I, yeah. I feel like I either need to get an SSD and use the built-in app, or you know, hopefully it'll fix that bug. Yeah, curious to see how that works out, and yeah. would be also curious to see some of that telephoto footage. You did have one shot that was like really brief mm-hmm. of uh, like we were we were moving, and you shot like a flag, and it had like a parallax effect mm-hmm. because you're shooting on telephoto, and that was really cool. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what I was hoping to play with. So you know, maybe next time I'll bring an SSD or something. Try that. Yeah, for sure. And then just like a little more on iPhone video stuff, Gerald Undone put out a video with, I guess it was Patrick Tommaso, and they were looking at dynamic range, test- range testing on the iPhone. Yeah, he, he shot it at his little bar chart thing, and they were doing a bunch of tests and stuff. Yeah, and I thought this was like super interesting. And so I was messing around when the Blackmagic app came out. And so I have a 12 Pro Max, and I was messing around with shooting video on that. And... I noticed that like if I was shooting in a bright dynamic range situation where it's like here's inside of a car, here's outside of a car, that if I set it to like ISO 64, uh, the highlights would be blown out. And then as I, I guess it's the other way around, but as as you raise the ISO because of the way that the, this is like non-log, this is an older iPhone. And so the way that it handles like the tone mapping, all this sort of thing, it's like, you have to get up to a higher ISO in order for it to have enough dynamic range. And it's almost like if you have this weird, like a dark scene and a bright scene, just cranking your ISO all the way down is actually worse than shooting at a higher ISO because you're actually going to get more dynamic range at a higher ISO, which like obviously, and most cameras are like that. You look at any log profile, yeah. it's like ISO 800, 1250, you know, mm-hmm. has some sort of base ISO in order to give it a latitude on top and bottom. But it's still, it feels counterintuitive. It's like, well, it's super bright outside, so let me crank my ISO up. Yes, it is counterintuitive. And so Gerald Undone did a DR test with his, his whatever Luma something machine. And yeah, super interesting. What was, what did, what did we find out? Yeah, I mean, that, it, it seems like it has DR that's comparable with other cameras. I mean, he was getting like 13 stops, which is, pretty much on par with what you'd like with modern mirrorless cameras. It was, right. I, I was pretty surprised with those results. Yeah. It seemed like 13 to 12 stops clean and, or 13 overall and about 12 stops clean. And that mm-hmm. the ISO seems to level out at about 1200 ish, yeah. 1250 yeah. right around there. And that if you shoot less than that, even if you're shooting in like ProRes log, Apple's doing whatever magic they're going to do on their camera end to kind of like, crush everything down a little bit to yeah. keep noise under control. Right. And so you like basically they cut off the noise floor anything under 12 1250 mm-hmm. and kind of like you get the same dynamic range but you know you don't get all the information whereas normally you would expect to just have all this extra info in the shadows that's like unusable noise but it's down there and here it just seems like they're they're lopping it off. Yeah. And the conclusion for me is I need to get an ND filter for my phone. Because we were shooting outside in bright sun. You know, you were talking earlier about shooting on film and, you know, only being able to go up to one over a thousand. There was no way I could stay at that ISO. You know, I was I was shooting at the lowest ISO, which was ISO 55. And even with that, I was having to crank my shutter up to one over 1,000 mm-hmm. for video, you know, for shooting 60 frames per second video just to keep it exposed properly, yeah. which isn't a good feeling. You know, it's like I wanted the motion blur. I wanted yeah, it to yeah. look good. and. I mean, there's just no way. And so I feel like I need like a heavy ND filter so that I can get my ISO a little bit higher to get that dynamic range as well as to shoot at, you know, like a 180 degree shutter. It's just, it's like, it's it's frustrating in a way. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's like, I have my phone here to shoot on my phone because, you know, like I don't want to have like my, my camera and all my equipment and my gear. But if you want to get like the best, best version of the footage out of your phone, you kind of need an ND filter. Yeah. <laughs> Some, like, somebody needs to make like a really small little like press on ND filter. Yeah, you know, I mean they, they probably already have have that, but like I want something that I can put on a keychain. No, I want I want it built into my case. That'd be cool and then have like a little switch where I can like grab the lever and like push it up out of like the protective part of the case, and it just covers up the whole camera bump. Yeah, and I can be like none ND ND ten, and then just have it. That'd be great. Something like that. You need something like that. Right. Well, I, 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 you I know, actually norm- need to tell you about my Kickstarter. <laughs> 
you know, it's like normally I don't want that because I it, a lot of the pictures I take of my phone are you know just trying to like you know shoving it behind the furniture and taking a picture to see you know see where all the wires are plugged in or sure. something. It's like I need as much light as I can get, but doing this kind of stuff and especially doing video where you have a low shutter speed, yeah, it's it's kind of a weird problem. Cool. So yeah, interesting stuff. I'm I'm just I'm I'm happy with what they did here that they. It seemed like last year, or was it the year before, where they came out with like the cinematic mode and whatever. And it's like they want people to be able to shoot video with the iPhone. Well, like, where's all our cool pro stuff? And it's like this year they brought actual usable pro features yeah. that made this mm-hmm. as a viable option. For yeah, a lot and it's of like it's not it's not just bluster. It's not just marketing speak. Mm-hmm. Like these things are actually they actually do make a difference. Yeah, so pretty cool. Okay, we have one more phone to talk about. Yeah, after this, we can't talk about phones for like I don't know another year. Honestly, I'm I'm done. Like, the this isn't a phone podcast. Yeah, that's right. This is a camera gear podcast, and I just feel like we have to at least mention the Pixel Eight because when it comes to computational photography and like phone photography, they have, that was the one that kind of like started it all. Right, mm-hmm. the first original Pixel like leaps and bounds ahead of everything else whenever they started doing their whole computational thing, and some of the features with the Pixel Eight really make me question like what's a camera anyway yeah Yeah, i think i think there's like at least two specific things that to me kind of go outside of just phones into like a more general discussion about yeah how this stuff works so like let's talk about that i don't want to get too much into it i was curious to see like how good the video and stuff was on the pixel Mm -hmm. because like good video on android is what i need (laughs) to go back to android and still waiting still waiting but they they have that night sight feature and I thought this was like just super interesting where on the new Pixel 8s, they're doing this thing where it's like they'll do like the eight photos and compile them into one to make one photo, but they'll do that for every frame of video so they can give you like this crazy good, you know, mm-hmm. night composition. And so it's like for every frame, we're going to take, you know, four frames on either side or whatever, composite it into a single image and then go to the next frame and then do that and then go to the next so frame like, and then do that. So like to clarify, like you would set your your uh, shutter speed on your camera to like one over 125, but it's actually taking like 1,250 frames in the background because it's combining like every 10 into a single frame or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. It's like doing the thing that it does on photos, but it's doing it for every frame of video. Okay. And then they don't make a chip that can do this because their, their chip prod, like their tensor chips are just not that, that fast. Yeah. And so like they upload the whole thing to the cloud and then you have to like wait three hours <laughs> and then it gives you the thing back. It says the equivalent of shooting on film, but on a phone. <laughs> kind of is. It's like you got to take your phone to the one hour photo and then it's going to down, it's going to do all the processing and then download it for you. Man. And then, you know, what if you're on, the, what if you're in the US and you're on a data plan that's not unlimited? Oh my gosh. I don't I know just, about all this. I want, I want my camera features to be on my camera, not on the cloud. Yeah. I mean, because with Google specifically, I worry about stuff like that because they're they do not have a great track record for maintaining mm-hmm. services and showing a long lasting commitment to things like that. <laughs> no, definitely not. And it's entirely possible that a year or two from now they will forget about this feature and you know basically deny it ever existed. Oh yeah, like they'll find out that barely anyone's using it because they don't want to wait three hours mm-hmm. to get their video, and so yep. they're like, oh, I guess we'll just re-release that whenever we have enough processing yep. power to do it. And and I guess my concern, like in the larger sense, is. You know, you're always going to be able to do more processing in like a big server than you can on a tiny little well, sure. phone. And, you know, I, I don't know. I can't help but think about things like camera to cloud and how we're starting to see more technology in cameras. And on one hand, that's something I want to see because I want to see some of those cool features come to cameras. But on the other hand, I don't want it to go in this direction because I don't want my like professional camera doing all these like cloud integrated things where I have to worry about the manufacturer supporting it. And I mean, I don't know. It's just, I don't like all that stuff. Yeah. It's doesn't feel good. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about some of these features that you want to talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, that was one of them. I was, it's felt that's, you know, like I said, it's not really like that connection, but the other one that really caught my eye was this, I don't know what they call it. Magic AI or mm-hmm. magic take or something like that. Sure. They had this feature where basically 
you could have a group of people, you know, all trying to take a picture. And if you've ever, you know, been at a party or something and like, let's get a group photo, you know, it's hard to get everybody like keeping their eyes open, looking at the camera, you know, somebody's kids running over here and I got to get the kid. And it's just like a whole mess. And so I think the pitch of this feature is that, you know, you've got your pixel and you're standing there trying to take a picture and it's actually as phones do taking tons of pictures in the background. And then they're going to use the magic of AI to just grab the best version of everybody's face and put it together and give you the picture you wanted. There's, there's no way that works. I don't know. I mean, people do this type of thing in Photoshop, right? Like if you take three pictures and you know, on, on the first one, the person on the left has their eyes closed on the second one, the person on the right has their eyes closed. You know, you can, you can do that and you can fix that up, but I don't know. It just gives me a real gross feeling to imagine the phone deciding for me and like the phone deciding what each person's best version of themselves is. And I don't, I don't like it. It's just, it's just so weird. Can, do you think like you will be able to tell, like say you have a group of like five people, one of those people is probably going to be in the correct photo, Mm -hmm. but then the other four aren't in the correct photo. It's like, are you going to be able to tell when you, when you're the, like, it's your universe? (laughs) I don't know. That's, that's creepy too. I I saw one where it's like, I think it was the Verges video where they, they, there was someone in the foreground and then someone in the background and the person in the foreground was like changing their expression while the person in the background wasn't moving. That was trippy. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, you know, like Neelai Patel from the Verge said that basically as, as of this point, it's like websites or, or publications with journalistic integrity can't accept photos from Pixel 8s. Yeah. Because it's not what actually happened. Yeah, you have no idea. Yeah. And I mean, phones do stuff like this all the time, right? Like this is a really extreme version of it. But I mean, there's all sorts of computational stuff that goes on to improve aspects of pictures. I mean, you know, in past years, we've had Samsung and other brands, you know, like smoothing skin and doing things like that. And I mean... There's this whole like category of things that phones already do. And, you know, there's people using Photoshop to do all these things as well. But for some reason, just having it be completely hidden from the user and like I'm just snapping a picture on my phone and it's giving me something that's completely not like what's actually happening. I, I just don't like that. Wasn't there like a gadget or something recently where you could take a picture of something and then instead of it giving you the photo, it would AI generate whatever you were taking a picture of. I do think, yeah, I think there was some sort of basically like, like weird concept version of like a Polaroid camera yeah. that did that. Yeah. I don't know. I, all this AI stuff is really cool, but it also scares me a little bit. It's, I mean, I mean photography has always been like, and even like cinematography to, to an extent is like different ways of lying to you, right? Of like tricking you into thinking one thing is something that it isn't. Yeah. And like exaggerating parts that are true and things are even like, Say you take a picture of the moon on a telephoto lens, like it's gonna look bigger. And so it's like, I took a picture. All I did was collect the light into this. Even shot it on film. I caught. I collected all this light onto a thing. Chemical process. Like here you go. Here's here's exactly what it was there. Yeah. It's still not necessarily true because of the perception. That's true. And so it's like, what level of deception is acceptable <laughs> in photography? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a hard question to answer. Yeah, and it, th- this feels like maybe one step too far. I guess like it being, it seems like it's not going to automatically do this, right? Like it'll, you just like go into a mode or something. I don't, yeah, I, I didn't uh, see the details on that, so I'm not sure. But. Yeah, so like there's like that's unclear. Like you take a picture and it goes, oh hey, by the way, do you want to swap out any of these faces? Okay, cool. <laughs> can it can it like point out which ones it thinks? You know, this person looks like they're not smiling. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Do you wish your friend was happier? <laughs> so like it not doing it maybe by default is probably good. I think that that's where we start getting into trouble is where this feature goes one step further. And when you, you press the shutter button and you don't see the original, yeah. you only see the improved yeah. version you know or like how long is it going to be before your google photo library is suddenly like helpfully suggesting better versions of your pictures to you sure i mean it's already doing that yeah. Like, yeah, not to this extent yeah. maybe but well yeah. i mean like for instance the whole you know oh cool my phone took a i can do portrait mode after the fact yeah you can like just do that in google photos mm-hmm. like you don't even have to have lighter information you can just like 
add depth of field to your photos in Google <laughs> Photos because they're like, we've figured it out. We've yep. done all the number crunching and, and here you go. Yep. And so I'm sure that like this feature that's on Pixel, it's like if you take, I bet two years down the line, if you take a burst shot of like five photos right next to each other, it doesn't matter what camera, you can probably go into Google Photos and be like, swap it, swap it, swap it, swap it, here you go. Yeah. Which is like just an easier version of Photoshop. Yep. I don't know, Daniel. These, it's just, it's all AI stuff. It's like, Apple over here is, is you know, here is a log. And then Google's like, here's what the machines can do for you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of just two different approaches to things. Yep. And I mean, I I don't like the direction of this stuff. I'm not saying it's totally wrong for everybody. It's just, I guess, as somebody who cares about photography and puts a lot of effort into making like really good pictures and video, I, it, I want stuff to feel real. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. You kind of, it's like the fight to make it look more and more natural rather yeah. than the not. Yeah. And like you said, like, I think it is an interesting point that all of cinematography, all of photography is lying to you to an extent. Sure. I mean, think about every time you do a film shoot, you only see what's in front of the lens. Yeah. Like that's the biggest lie of all, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's all just a set somewhere. And so, I mean, there's, there's some inherent deception in everything, but it, you know, how far is too far? I don't know. I also don't know, but I'm sure we're going to find out. <laughs> yes. Yes. And if anybody's <laughs> going to go over the line, it's going to be Google because they love doing that. They just push it a little bit too far. Just keep pushing it and, and see then what they happens. back it off. And yeah, we'll see. Okay. Can we be done talking about phones? I think so. Like yeah. until at least next September? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably a good. Okay. Idea. Good. What's next? Well, we did have something that a listener actually brought up to us. Okay. And. I thought this is something that I did notice when it came out and wasn't sure if we should talk about it or not, but somebody asked about it, so let's talk about it. Let's do it. It's this uh, Sony ILX LR1 camera, and this is basically a tiny little Sony box camera. So, it, you know, it kind of reminds me of like a Sigma FP because it, it's sort of it's sort of like it's in the same shape as a mirrorless camera. It it actually looks to me also like a Blackmagic cinema camera, like the original one, uh-huh. where it's like this weird flat rectangle that has depth sure. to it. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's really small. Like, I think it weighs half a pound, and I, I, didn't, I don't remember the, the physical dimensions of it, but it's really, really small little box camera. Yeah, 0.45 pounds, by mm-hmm. 4 pounds. Yep. Yeah, really tiny. And I think that the purpose of this thing is, like, industrial imaging so yeah if you have something on like a conveyor belt or something you need to take some pictures of things if you want to put it on a drone you could put it on a drone like if you're doing some aerial surveying something like that um i mean it's basically it's like a little utility camera for some of these use cases it doesn't have an evf or a screen on it it's it's clearly not intended for you to hold in your hands and you know and use like a mirrorless camera but it's kind of the special purpose thing but it does have like the wheel thing on the back. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So you do still have some buttons and stuff mm-hmm. on there. I mean, you could use this as a box camera if you wanted. Nothing, nothing stopping you. What about the exposed wires? <laughs> <laughs> so the exposed wire thing is kind of cool, actually. There's a little, uh, there's a plug on there that you can basically use to control all of the aspects of the camera. So if you had it on a drone or something, you can plug that into it and you can control focus and zoom and the menus and all that stuff with that little thing. Could I do it with a Raspberry Pi? Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what it's intended for. Daniel, like that. build a Raspberry Pi box camera. <laughs> do it. Yeah, this thing's pretty neat though. It has a, uh, when I've seen people talk about it, they've thought that, you know, it's kind of mostly intended for photography uses, but it does have really good video specs because it's basically an A7R5. Damn. So it's priced similarly. It's uh, it's twenty nine hundred dollars, I think. So so does it come with does it come with all the A seven R five stuff? Like you can shoot four K sixty in APS-C mode. You got whatever was it? Is it fifty six megapixels? Forty six megapixels? It's stills. 60, 61 megapixels. Just can't even do it. Sixty one yeah. megapixel stills. Mm-hmm. Okay. It can do most of that stuff. I believe the burst rate is limited to like three frames per second or something crazy low. Do you have log profiles? Uh, I, I know you have S log three. Okay. I don't know what else it has, but the video specs seem good. I mean, you do 4k 60 and all that. If you were going to put this on a drone and do some filming from a drone, I mean, it's perfect for that because you're going to get really good quality. It, it does have a normal E-mount, so you can put a normal lens on it, but it's lightweight. It's small. You get good image quality. I mean, it's 
pretty perfect for uses like that. Talk talk to me talk to me about IO. Like I'm looking at this thing on DP review and mm-hmm. I'm looking at the back of this camera and it seems like maybe it has an HDMI output. Yeah, I think it has like a micro HDMI maybe. Do you know if it takes SD cards? I think it does. I think it has a UHS-2 SD card slot. I can't quite remember. Do you know sure. what kind of mounting options it has? It has screw holes all over it. So I think all sides of this thing have, you know, like quarter 20 screw holes on it. So similar to any other box camera, you know, you can bolt it onto a okay. bracket or something. So if you were so inclined, you could you can make your own, like, box camera setup out of this. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. if you were motivated enough mm-hmm. that you wanted to have something similar to an A7R5 mm-hmm. that's like the tiniest, boxiest, like like there. this is the the concept of like here is the, just the core piece of the camera yeah. and nothing else. You could do it. You could do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the FX3 is up there in price. It's, I think sure. that's like $3,500-ish. But that has a screen on the back. You know, it's not not a box camera format. So, yeah, this is maybe a little bit closer to that. This has like an S and Q switch on it. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So yeah. I assume this is E-mount. It is. Full yeah. frame, obviously. Okay. Pretty neat little deal. Hmm. It's also the other use case I've talked about is live streaming. So, you know, Blackmagic had their event recently. And I maybe briefly mentioned one of their uh, similar products. They have a little tiny micro four thirds box camera. It's about $1,000. And I think the intended purpose of that camera is, you know, for live streaming. So if you had like a studio environment and you wanted to have all these yeah, cameras in different pretty places. Cool. And this could kind of be like the Sony version of that. So, you know, if you had like a studio style setup and, you know, we're using Sony stuff or wanted to use a Sony camera for whatever reason, this would slot in really well there. And, you know, you can fit it into small areas. You can control it remotely. So... Does it's it, got some uses, I think. Does it have the AI autofocus stuff? That's a good question, and I don't know if it does or not. It doesn't look like it has a hot shoe. Yeah, I which, don't think it does. Who was it? Godox released a new microphone that's like competitive with the DJI thing and the you know the, like a like a Rode Pro whatever mm-hmm. microphone, mm-hmm. and it I believe works with the Sony Hot Shoe microphone. Oh, thing. that's cool. And if because it's not just plugging into like you know the stereo jack on the side, uh-huh. it can do three tracks into your camera instead of two, Ooh. and so you can record on camera at the transmitter and your two things on the your your talent or whatever. That's pretty cool. And so you could have like three three tracks happening. Neat. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because Sony has that, uh, you're talking about like their multifunction hot shoe thing where you, right. can, you can clamp something into the hot shoe and that transfers like audio data and stuff. Yeah, so. which you frequently see used for microphones. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, I don't think this camera has that. Man, Daniel, if it had a hot shoe. Man, it'd be set. So like, obviously this needs a, needs a few things. I mean, we need, we need multiple video out feeds, maybe like in SDI instead of uh, HDMI. But for real, like I'm kind of kidding because I'm talking about like what if you made a really cool cinema camera out of it and you wanted like two feeds on of it out of the camera. But even if you're using it for a drone, why would you not put SDI on this thing? I don't know if any drones take SDI. Yeah, I don't know if but they do like not. it locks in. Yeah, not better than micro I, I do think I do think that at least some of the outputs on this thing have screws on them, like to to secure them in place. So that's kind that's, of that seems no. critical. Yeah, it does not have IBIS. I knew it. Yeah, I. I I don't know if you. I don't remember if you mentioned that, but yeah, it doesn't have IBIS, which is good because on a drone you wouldn't want it to have, you know, anything like that. Um, but I don't know about the AI autofocus thing. It My guess is no. It doesn't look like it has any sort of microphone input either. Interesting. So really is geared towards photo stuff, mm-hmm. even though it has video stuff. Yeah. Which for a drone for whatever video you're not going to record audio anyway yeah yeah you would just hear this like high-pitched whine yeah you just awful yeah you just put that in in post (laughs) yeah you make those noises with your mouth yeah exactly (laughs) copy paste i want to keep imagining things that you could use this for that are not like a stage camera or a security camera or a drone camera but like with some of the limitations of input and output, I'm running out of yeah, options. Yeah, those are the most obvious things for sure. Mm-hmm. I guess you could make it like a security camera, like yeah. a $2,500 security <laughs> camera. <laughs> yeah, that's a little over the top. Run Put it like in, a 70 to 200 G Master on there. Yeah, sure. Run it into like Blue Iris or something. 
<laughs> I don't know about that. I'm sure that would totally work. Yeah. I don't know. What, don't, what else are you going to use this thing I for? I mean, you know, this feels like it's not for most people. I mean, if, if this is what you need, then you're going to see it and know that it's exactly what you need. But most people, like, like if what you want is a box camera, you know, if you're trying to, like, build a shoulder rig or something, this is probably not it. I mean, every single one of the options on this on this page, there's like options, like all the promo photos are of it on a drone. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that seems like the obvious use case. Now you might ask, does it work with Sony's drones? Cause Sony makes those air peak drones. Oh yeah. And the answer is no, it does not. What? <laughs> then what? <laughs> it makes as much sense as it sounds. I don't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> You could use it as like a wildlife camera. There you go. Like, like a, a game cam? Yeah. Perfect. Or, you know. Just strap it, that thing to a tree and then leave for a week. I'm sure it'll be there when you get back. You know, I mean, like maybe you need to put it up in a remote location so you can get pictures of like tigers or something. <laughs> like you want to get like a, a mother bangle laying her eggs. And so you like put it up in a tree and like you get the pictures. I think I might support you doing that just so that you can learn a little bit more about the animal kingdom and how biology works. It's got a couple <laughs> of things wrong there, but I don't know. No, we got nothing wrong. <laughs> you don't know how cats work. I think we need to move on. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> we, we were talking about drones. Do you know enough about this DJI Mini 4 Pro to talk about it? I don't know. I feel like I feel like kind of, but this is this is one of those examples of like DJI has gotten onto their whole rigmarole of like releasing a camera mm. version every year for all of their drone lines, yep. which has become so many drone lines. It's it's kind of a problem, honestly. Like we was the last time we talked about this. Like they just came out with the Mavic three regular or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. And like we talked at length about how many freaking yeah. drones do they have? And like how do you know if you're supposed to buy the mini or the mini pro mm-hmm. or whatever? And we just can't keep up. They're all incremental changes. And it's like, yep. what's actually better? And like, here's a perfect example. The Mini 4 Pro came out. I knew it came out. And I was like, do I care? Yeah. And is it different? And then I never dug into yeah. it. I mean, it's it's a Mini 3 Pro, which, which I already felt like was a good drone with a few upgrades. Probably the most meaningful upgrade is that it has side obstacle avoidance sensors. So if you're trying to do one of those things where you know, you're running or biking or whatever, and you just want the drone to follow you autonomously, that's great because the drone can kind of be flying next to you, getting a cool sideways shot, and, you know, it won't run into trees, things like that. So, I mean, they're always making improvements to these things. It's great to see. It's got, you know, better image quality than the previous ones. It can shoot vertical video. I mean, you know, it has all that stuff. All that's great. It's probably the same sensor. Yeah. I don't know. I think it probably is. Um, they did improve the image transmission range. Okay. So I think they've upgraded all that stuff. Now it can go like 20 kilometers, you know, which is great for like the legal limitation on not being able to fly outside line of sight. Yeah. The, (laughs) the, well, I mean, these don't matter because it's it's 249 grams. So you just do whatever you Uh, want. Yeah. Yeah. Government can't track you. Exactly. Don't at me, bro. No. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Mini 3 Pro didn't have the side sensors. That's so that right. was kind of like one of the big things that you were missing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And it's like they that. really closed the gap between this and the normal. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why would you not just get I, the Mini I think this is Pro? probably the best drone for most people. Yeah, that it makes sense, right? I feel like anyone who's not like getting into their whole FFA, FAA certification and all that stuff or wherever you live, it's like just... You know, you, this one is for recreation yeah. and for like light projects. Uh-huh. Like it's 249 grams. Yep. There you I go. agree. I mean, if you're wanting to film stuff, you know, for like a big project or if you're going to make a business out of this, then that's maybe where you should look at the bigger stuff. But otherwise, I mean, this just seems like the new default choice, but there's not that much in it that really excited me over the previous ones. And I, I don't want to get all into that conversation again, but this is not a revolution in drone technology. It's just a you yeah. know, a small evolution in the product line. So it looks like just the drone and the controller are 759 and then you're at basically 1100 bucks for the fly more combo and then they have an 1150 for the fly more combo plus. Mm. And I think that's the one where you get like bigger batteries. They have like these intelligent flight or extended mm. flight batteries or whatever that give you like an extra 15 minutes but put you over the weight limit. Yeah, so. I think that's right. And I do think at least those more expensive ones come with the controller as the built-in screen. So that's a plus. 
Yes, yeah, you can get the the uh, 759 one is the normal RC controller, and then the DJ RC two is. 959 that's mm-hmm. one with the screen yeah so that's that's what i would recommend if somebody was going to get this I think yeah it's this worth it. this really feels like it supplanted what was the like the air 2 line mm-hmm. you know a few years ago they've pushed the air 2 line up and out like it's such a weird yeah. in the middle yeah because they, they do have an air 3 yes but, and, and it seems better than the you know than the air 2 but now it's like 1500 or something and yeah it's a weird price point well like you said most people best drone for most people it's a thousand dollars or like right around thousand dollars. So, and that's probably the price point that DJI wants to sell most of their drones. Yeah, you don't need the license. You don't need the license. It's like obviously the Mini and the Mini Pro are the ones that they want people to buy, unless you're like you're really, really into it. Mm-hmm. I guess this is pretty good. Yeah, I feel like that's all we have to say. I mean, I think that's about it. It's not. It's just it's you know drones. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Like they're the, they're the coolest thing. It's fine. I flew mine the other day and it was fun. And it kind of you know made me think, oh, I should fly, fly this more often. This is kind of cool. But mm-hmm. I mean, the truth is, I think that it's just gotten less exciting over time. You know, yeah. it, it's not a novel thing anymore. So. Right. It's funny how much the novelty kind of carried yeah. drones along. I do still feel like it's critical. Even for a lot of like the stuff that we shoot, there have been things where it's like, if I pepper in one drone shot or two drone shots into this, it brings the production value up a hundred percent. Agreed. And so like you kind of have to have it, but it also just feels like a commodity. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, and it can't carry the project. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas maybe a few years ago, it could really like carry a project. Right. It can't do that now. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Like, I kind of feel like it, like I feel about phones where I feel like I used to really, really care about like, every feature of my phone and like what was coming out year after year after year. Now it's like, they're not really getting that much better every year. And it's yeah. like, you kind of have to have a phone, but it's like, you know, you're going to be using the same basic as, as long as it can like do the thing. Maybe there's a few things that are really critical for you. And, but it's like, you know, it's not that exciting. And just the drone feels like the same thing of, I feel like we have to have it, but it's not really pushing the limits or doing things that are as exciting as uh, yeah. regular cameras to me. I agree. Anyway, whatever. We did yeah. it. We, yeah. we put in five minutes on the DJI Mini Pro 4. <laughs> Check it off the list. Uh-huh. All right. Let's do one more thing today. Um, this is this podcast, so let's talk about some cinema lenses. <laughs> this, is the, this is the cinema lens podcast. Yeah. This is often our closer topic, I feel like. It, it, it does feel like that. Mm-hmm. And this isn't even the one that you, you sent me a link that was like, hey, look at this thing that Caleb Pike did, and which is DPR video shooter. And oh gosh, what were those? Those were like those were Nisei Nisei lenses, yeah. and it was like these are some really cool, really cheap mm-hmm. cinema lenses that are like probably the best bang for the buck. Not even what we're talking about here, yep. Daniel. Yeah, I don't even know if you watched that video. I did watch um, the video. I'm proud of you. And I said, this seems seem pretty cool. <laughs> Hot take. Pretty cool. <laughs> yep. Well, let's talk about these other lenses. I, I still want, I, I want nanomorphs. I know you do. They came out with more nanomorphs, they Daniel. Did. They did. And we're not even talking you know about what? those today. I'm I putting, I'm are. putting Apparently a pause. I know we're talking about this. <laughs> I'm putting a pause on these sniper things. We're talking about nanomorphs. Yep. Okay. There was a make our video, make our now video. Yeah. And he was talking about the new nanomorphs and they came out with like a 65 and a 85. Five millimeter nanomorph, I think. And one of them might be a round number, like eighty, but yeah, some, like somewhere in that range. So they're, they're longer. Mm-hmm. They have bigger image circles. Like these are all APS-C, but these are big enough that you can probably put them on full frame, and no one's going to say anything. Like the vignetting is not great, but cool. And then they released an anamorphic adapter for their anamorphic lenses. Yeah, they did. Because <laughs> it basically turns them into a two X, right? Yeah, it does. And like one point five X. I'm happy. I'm, I'm like relatively happy with that. Mm-hmm. If you're shooting on 16 by nine, that's like what? 1.8. If you're shooting at 1.5, you're, mm, it's, it's like two point, what? Like 2.8 something, 2.6 something to one. Like you're close. You're close to Cinescope, which is like 2.35, 2.4 or 2.39 to one. And so like 1.5 on a 16 by nine, it's like not quite as much stretch as you want, but like you're pretty close to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, three by two, you can shoot with that too. But like, point being, 2X is, is what you want, right? You, end of the day, it doesn't matter like how much, you know, negotiating and compromising you make with yourself. You really want 2X anamorphic. Like, 
yeah. you're just lying to yourself if you say anything different. And so they here's here's this thing. It's an anamorphic adapter that goes on the end of your nanomorph, and it makes it a two X squeeze. Yeah. And and it's only like seven hundred dollars. Yeah. It's not that, that that's apparently very cheap for what this is. It's basically and, the price of another uh, nanomorph. And I think it works on most of them. Like like wasn't there some that it didn't work on like, like the cur- really wide ones? Yeah, maybe? I think it doesn't work on the really wide ones. Yeah, I've I've shied away from these sort of like weird anamorphic adapter things because it does require you to get that thing perfectly level well and he was saying he was saying that in his video and he was hoping that in the production version they would give you something to help you line it up right he was saying that's a problem so moment has their anamorphic thing that you slap on the end of your lens Mm -hmm. and i think that one's 1.3 and which is barely even anamorphic but but that one's like you take a normal not right a normal spherical lens and that one they have this like mm, it's not proprietary, but they're like, we invented this way to make it really easy to get it perfectly horizontal every time. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. It doesn't seem like this has that. So like, that's the big thing. Like, there's no way you're fixing it in post. If you're squeezing one way and then your other squeeze is off like yeah. one degree. Yeah, you're really oh going to have to boy, get that right. Might as well throw all that footage in the trash. Mm-hmm. There's no way. And then the other thing was like, you have to deal with, you have to deal with focus, which is a huge problem. These are manual lenses. So maybe like less of a problem, but you're going to have to set like one of them to infinity. And like, maybe you're going to have like close focus or infinity focus problems because you're dealing with, I mean, you had this problem with your Viltrox speed booster where it's like, if you're adding an element into the series of things in front of your sensor, you got to get that sorted out exactly perfect or else you're going to have close focus or infinity focus problems. Right. That's right. So it's like this weird first party solution to get you to 2x that doesn't seem like it's all the way there but also really cool that they're shipping something to make it even more attainable for like all the squeeze all the time it does make me wonder if they might come out with another version of nanomorphs in the future that's just natively 2x maybe not i'd be into it you have to imagine like if if you can get a nanomorph for what like i think like a thousand dollars they're about a thousand dollars and then this adapter is 700 then if you know if they're not having to case two things separately and all that stuff i mean i don't know it feels to me like maybe fifteen hundred dollars you could get a 2x version of one of these nanomorphs i'm into it i don't know i do like the nanomorph ships on what it's like you can do it for e x f z probably i feel like it's on most of the things though isn't it yeah i don't know if it's on l yeah well because they're apsc right they are, but so like these uh, S5 Mark II has that anamorphic mode where you can True. shoot in four by three, True. so you can get really close to actual cinescope. So I don't know if these uh, these ship on L mount or not. I'm looking it up, and this is something where you can change the mount later. So that's a that's another cool aspect of it. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So they do have they have RFE Micro Four Thirds L Z DL and X. Okay. So no. So that'll mount, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Basically slap these things on anything you want. Yep. You ever gonna buy one of those? Yes, like it's 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 gonna happen, Daniel, because I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm working on my script. We're gonna shoot a little short, and then in leading up to the short, I'm gonna buy like two or three nanomorphs. Yeah, the problem is you can't just get one. No, I can't. I'm gonna get them in silver because I feel like that's the right choice for the flare option on these Mm -hmm. things because i don't want to really like lean into blue or amber though i would prefer amber but i i think the the neutral option is the best option because that way i can kind of make it favor the light itself yeah now does the does the 2x adapter also come in those different flavors i think it does i think you can mix and match too which is really fun yeah so i just i love it i'm into all of it if i was shooting it on my xh2s i like I wouldn't deal with the, the the 2X extra thing just because it's like, you have to get it so perfectly right. And I feel like I wouldn't get it right. And and then like, I don't have a four by three option on my camera. I can shoot like DCI or 16 by nine or three by two. And so 2X gets me like, like even at three by two, I'm looking at three to one. It's just so wide. And then I'm having to like crop off the sides to like get it into the aspect ratio that I want. And like, you get the look that you want, but maybe it's too much. And so... I also feel like, you know, a lot of what you might want to do is multi-camera shoots and then like, what are you going to have to do? Buy two of these things. And so yeah. that combined with the difficulty of lining it up and stuff, 
I it's like I think that adapter's cool, but I also don't think I would get one. And that's why I was curious if you think they would eventually come out with a like built-in 2X thing. Maybe. I feel like it would be a lot bigger and be a lot more expensive. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why they went this route. Yeah. I think that, you know, nanomorph is the like they're selling these as like here's the tiniest anamorphics. Yeah. There's no way you can get a two X. They'll have to call it micromorph, which sounds like an eighties <laughs> cartoon or something. <laughs> Just slightly bigger morphs. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think that so a three by two on a one point five squeeze is two point two five to one, which isn't really any aspect ratio that you're actually going to shoot in. But I feel like I would still shoot to that, and then I would crop down into a DCI, and so it wouldn't look wide, but it, everything in it would be anamorphically squeezed with the, with like the flares and the mm-hmm. and the bokeh and stuff. I feel yeah. like that's what I would do. Maybe. Anyways. Point is, I need some of these, and I think I want the the thirty five millimeter and the fifty millimeter. Yeah, They're, I mean they seem really cool. I'd be interested to they, see it. But now they have this new sixty. I mean, anyways, so let's talk about these snipers, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> so turning into the Cinema Lens podcast. <laughs> okay, so just real quick, your favorite lens company, Suri, Suri, Suri yes, Suri, Suri. Siri. Hey, Siri. They came out with some new Cine Primes. And these are cool for one reason. Actually, two reasons. The first reason is that they're all basically the same size and they're 1.2. And so you can get 1.2 speed lenses, F1.2, or is it T? F. F1.2 in focal lengths that you can't get on, say, things like X mount because it's so fast. Mm-hmm. Second thing, they come in white. Oh, I mean, that's a big win. Mm-hmm. It's a huge win. So I'm looking for my tab now because I definitely opened these up and there they are. Okay. So like I said, there's three lenses. I didn't say that, but now I'm saying it. There's three lenses. These are their sniper rhymes because they're super stealth because they're white <laughs> and they're shipping them for like X. They're, they're APS-C lenses. So like XF, E, Z. And they're all 1.2 and they're all like the standard Trinity of primes. It's like 23 millimeter, 33 millimeter and 56 millimeters. So it's like basically like your, you know, 35, 50, 85 kind of thing. And I mean, that's, that's basically it. They're small, like 58 millimeter filter thread. What's the, uh, what's the price? Like uh, 350 bucks a piece. Well, that's pretty cheap. Yeah. I don't know. How, I don't know what to think about stuff like this. I mean, so for one thing, on these, I'm a little disappointed at how few of them they have, because I feel like the big win with these types of lenses is them all being the same size and roughly the same weight. And I don't know. I'm I'm a little well, and that and you know, and color matching, and you know, and being able to use these on a shoot and know that you're not going to have to you know adjust too many things. And it's just not a very broad selection of lenses. Well, so like. Maybe to provide a different framing for this, ha. Huh? They're not selling these as cinema lenses. Oh, okay. They're prime lenses. So think of it more of competitive with the Sigma prime set of like, here's all of our APS-C primes. I see. Okay. And so there are autofocus as well, which is a pretty big deal because normally, you know, series lenses are all manually focused. Mm-hmm. And so they are shipping autofocus your standard, you know, here's your APS-C prime set, and then they're really fast. Yeah, I guess that really you're paying for the, or you're you're not paying much more for these, but the reason you're picking this over something else is probably largely because of that aperture. And because they're white. Yes. I think that, like, it's it's very interesting, very surprising in that, like, I think Viltrox has something of similar speed. Like, they have their 1.2s in a, actually, they're all 1.4s, aren't they? Like, the 23 1.4. But like for Fujifilm, at 33 and at 23, I think these are the fastest autofocus lenses you can buy now. Interesting. So that really matters. Like you can get them. I haven't watched any videos on like how these things perform, but if I'm looking at a $350, like 1.2 lens, I'm going to expect that it's not going to be sharp until I get to 2.8. Yeah. And there's going to be some really serious chromatic aberrations. I mean, that's kind of the issue I've I've had with some of this stuff, like, you know, I, for some reason, I thought these were cinema lenses, but I, I think I was thinking of the Siri Nightwalker lenses. Which those but, seem pretty cool. Yeah, those seem cool. And 
I mean, there's, you know, there's those and we've talked about Viltrox making stuff. And I, I feel like where I get hung up on all these things is, you know, we've got these big name brands like Sigma. And then obviously we have first party lenses like, you know, Sony or Fuji or whatever you're shooting on. And I mean, I get that these things can sometimes be cheaper and they sometimes have better specs on paper than those more expensive lenses. But I just have to wonder if it's really worth it for the image quality, because it's hard for me to imagine that a lens like this at f1.2 is going to compare, you know, to the Fuji lens at 1.4. Do you think these are rehoused Nightwalkers? They're they're different. Like, we're so the the snipers are 23, 33, 56. The Nightwalks are 24, 55, and 35. So like they're off by a few millimeters. And their larger housing is like 67 millimeter. It's like they can't be the I same. I wouldn't think they would then. But I don't know. I just wonder wonder where to prioritize on stuff like this. It's I think that if you just if you just want the cheapest, fastest thing and you're really looking to get like a crazy load up the field look and you don't really care if it's like technically correct or optically perfect and you want it to have some <clears throat> character then like maybe this is the route that you go. Yeah. I, I, I see them appealing in that way of like, you know, I'm just shooting some fun, you know, student level movie stuff or like I just want some fast lenses so I can get a certain look and I don't really like care too much. I think that's where these things land. Okay. And, like they appeal to those kind of people. Yeah. Which great. Like I, there was like me three years ago. I would buy these. Yeah, like for sure. The price point, right? Yeah, the price point was a big reason of it. And then, like, they're going to be the fastest ones as I can get at those focal lengths. Mm -hmm. I'm not really going to care too much of, like, you know, all the optical problems because it's like, how much am I actually going to notice? Yeah. I do think I need to go through and, like, see some reviews on these Mm -hmm. because I would be really concerned because, like, I I think I have more respect for Suri with, like, the stuff that they're coming out with because some of those, like, China brand lenses will be like, this is a one a 0.95, whatever. And like you look at the images out of it and like there is so much longitudinal chromatic aberration that the image is basically unusable yeah. until you get to like 1.8 or 2.8 or something. Yeah. And I, I would very much doubt that Siri would come out with something like that. Agreed. But I bet that these are going to be optically inferior to the Sigma lenses that yeah. are $100 more. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of where I land on it is, you know, maybe cool, but especially if I'm not really getting the appeal of like having a full set of cinema lenses. Right. Then like, yeah, I think I'd rather just have like a single Sigma lens that's going to be higher quality. Yeah, I mean, the difference between 1.2 and 1.4 is not insignificant. I mean, it's like yeah. a third stop. That's true. But like... The the lenses that Sigma makes in this in this category, like they have their twenty three and their thirty and their fifty six. In a lot of cases, those are cleaner, sharper, better lenses than the Sony and Fuji counterparts mm-hmm. to them, at, at basically the same price. I mean, yeah. they're you know three to five something hundred dollars, and I mean it's it's a, it's a competitive landscape here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So obviously, like. You know, these come in white, and that's the biggest selling point. Yeah, absolutely. I still want to paint my camera cage white. Yeah, I mean, I think you should. It looks look so cool. Plasti-dip that thing? Yeah, man. Can't plasti-dip a lens. Don't try that at home, kids. <laughs> Don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> <laughs> You'll only focus it once. Better get it right. That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us, and if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out, too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com and you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week.